All right, how is it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we talk to founders about the companies that they started, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. I'm so excited today to be talking to Jay Patel, who's one of the co-founders of, of MidType. Jay, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, Matt. Excited to be here. Yeah, excited to have you and learn more about what you're working on at MidType. And with that, let's just jump right into it. Can you tell me a little more about MidType and what you're working on? Yeah, so I think uh, the essence is that MidType allows builders to build more quickly. Uh, we, I'm an engineer, my co-founder is an engineer. Uh, by trade, I'm a back-end engineer, he's a front-end engineer. So we've always had to work with each other uh, or not if we, each other people in those roles. He has to work with back-end engineers, I have to work with front-end engineers to ship something. And one of the problems uh, that we realized is that a lot of the building blocks for the back-end are repetitive. So we realized that we can build mid-type and enable people like my co-founder, Neil, to be able to ship and build products independently. And that's what MidType is. It provides the building blocks that you need for a backend so a front-end engineer can build and ship independently. All right, so let's dive a little deeper into that. Like I'm on your website right now and uh, you know, right in front of me it says launch and iterate on web apps at light speed. Like what are some of the kind of features that you've built uh, so other people don't have to build it themselves from scratch. Like, what are some of those features that people can use uh, with MidType? Yeah, so I think number one thing when you're building an application on the web today is, I mean, if it's any kind of any kind of application, you need a user login system, right? Everybody needs to log in. Everybody needs to save their preferences. Everybody needs to like read what their preferences are, or the application needs to do it on the behalf of the user. So that comes out of the box. Other thing is many applications or most developers who build this want to get paid for it. So they have a payment component. So you need to collect payments. Stripe makes it easy, but nevertheless, you have to write some backend code to, to do that. Furthermore, recurring payments along with a lot of this uh, credit card requirements make it harder. What happens if the recurring payment on the third month fails? How do you handle that situation? Uh, furthermore, uh, you need roles and responsibilities for many apps. There's people who have higher privilege who don't, some don't. So some people can edit something and some people can delete something. So access control. And lastly, a flexible data schema. So you can shove data in, in that's appropriate for your application. All of these things, every single application needs to do and we provide that out of the box. That's fantastic because what you're enabling is for people to build faster instead, instead of instead of spending all their time building kind of the meat and potatoes, uh, it, you're providing the meat and potatoes, and they can they can do farm like the new types of food. That's a bad analogy, but you know what I mean. Right? Would you, would you say that um, MidType is part of the API economy? Um, like, does the term API economy have you heard that before? And if so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so educate me a little bit on, on that because I've heard that running around and it kind of remind this reminds me of the API economy. Yeah, I think uh, we are definitely uh, part of the API economy, as in like we provide an API for you to build your application. You need to build your own front end, and we provide starter kits for it. So typically, we are targeting web app makers, but maybe uh, organically, we are also getting a few mobile application makers. Uh, 
there is a small difference between the two and we are focusing firstly on web applications. But for web application, there is this something called Jamstack, uh, which is uh, JavaScript API and uh, me, uh, sorry, uh, I'm, I'm uh, actually blanking out. Uh, no worries. So, uh, I think metadata, uh, metadata. Oh, sorry, markup, markup. Yeah, sorry. Uh, so that's the Jamstack, right? And, and a lot of front-end engineers are building applications on top of Jamstack. And uh, what that means is you have a very dumb front-end. It's a static front-end that just calls APIs. Once, once it gets the data, it, it does, at that time, it does something smart. It does client-side logic and inserts it into your front-end. It renders it in such a way. So we, we consider ourselves as part of Jamstack, where we are basically the A, the API. And, mm. uh, okay. and, and, and we are one of the few APIs that a company, that sorry, an application would need uh, to, be, to be usable, right? And we are, we are trying to be the primary application where an application saves user-related data. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I think that's, I think the whole thing's interesting where you got all these companies building APIs that people can plug into, but what you're doing is you're not building a single API, you're building a platform that that someone can build upon. Um, so as a, so let's say I wanted to, you know, start a company and I wanted to build a software and I wasn't technical. I'm curious, I, it does seem like that it's still a slightly technical product that a developer would need to need to implement. I'm curious, like what is necessary for a founder like me who does sales and marketing to get up and running with a, with a software like MidType and like who would I have to hire in order to make that happen, to make it come to life? Right, so I think uh, one of the things is uh, one of our customers, um, uh, they just launched uh, Clocka.com. They basically are a peer-to-peer -peer marketplace for watches. And uh, what they've actually built on top of is Webflow. And they use part of Webflow's backend. They provide, e Webflow can provide e-commerce and CMS functionality, uh, but it doesn't support like user login or user preferences or user favorites, what mm -hmm. watches they like, what watches they don't like, so on and so forth. And then, the other thing it doesn't provide is like more advanced stuff, like validating that this user is actually, so since they are people who list watches, they need to verify that they are actually real people, right? So they integrate with like a third party identity authentication system or provider that this person is real. Uh, so for that, they use MidType. And they basically launched within three weeks without having a programmer on their team. How did they do this? So the team is basically a sales and marketing person, uh, the co-founder, the founding team, and a designer. So the designer did most of the actual technical implementation. Uh, for the parts where they needed programming, we actually worked with them. We helped them out a little bit. Uh, but it's a total of 600 lines of code to get a marketplace like Clock Up and running. With this, they're able to go secure more funding, go hire more engineers as needed, and, 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 and iterate on their product, right? Without trying to figure out, hey, do I need a programmer? Yeah, you need a programmer, but you only need one, and probably one that only needs to write a few hundred lines of code, which they can do in a matter of days or weeks. So I think your cost of getting started is much lower. Obviously, it doesn't eliminate a programmer completely, but but if you really want to ship out an MVP, it really drastically reduces your cost of shipping, right? And, and that's kind of the value add here. Once you get there, MidType will help you grow, 
for as long as you're able to use us. Obviously, at some point, maybe it won't it won't work. But let's talk. Let's get there first, right? And 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 I think we continue to evolve mid-type so that it continues to work for companies much longer in their age. Yeah, definitely. I I, I fully get that. So I'd love to hear a little bit of, of the backstory on you know, this. This product seems to be solving a pretty big problem in that it, it enables developers to not need to do this some of this low-level code, and you've already done it. Where did you get the idea from, and what's the motivation behind behind working on it? Yeah. So to tell you the truth, uh, there's a couple of different motivations for this. First is that my co-founder Neil is kind of customer zero for this product. He's a front-end engineer slash designer who can do both. Uh, coding and designing, but he can't really do backend stuff. Like he's not really interested in it. If, if he really had to, he could, but that's not his in, area of interest. A uh, few things he's done in his life is he's participated in hackathons. And as part of hackathons, he's actually won quite a few, uh, probably around $10,000 worth of prizes over the, over his career, quote unquote career. And he's not like an avid hackathoner, which he goes every week and he participated probably one or two every year and he's one of you, right? But he's always had to be part of a team to win or to execute yep. well. And he's always had lots of different ideas and he thought like he could execute on many ideas himself uh, if something like MidType existed. So between the two of us, he's always wanted something like MidType to exist. Secondly, I, as a backend engineer, have all and a career that has spanned over 10 years. I've worked with many different teams and shipped many different products or iterations of products, but I've always had to I've always been limited to work with one front-end engineer or one front-end engineering team uh, if I'm doing hands-on engineering work myself. Uh, so from my perspective, it'd be cool to support somebody like Neil, but also support 10 people like Neil, maybe with success, 100 people like Neil, and maybe 1,000 people like Neil a little bit down the road. So that, like, that motivated me to build this product. Uh, and the second part of the story is like, we actually uh, are a y, we got into Y Combinator, right? We did Y Combinator, uh, but we got into Y Combinator with a completely different idea. Midway through that, we realized it was a B2B enterprise sales product. Sorry, not sales product, but the sales model. So we had to go to top down, convince the shareholders to sell this product. But ultimately we realized while the problem was real, there was not a lot of money. The, the stakeholders didn't want to spend a lot of money on their product. So we decided to shut down the product. After shutting down the product, we spend a few weeks iterating on various different products. And part of that, we just realized that, look, the cost of starting out is too high. What if we could just simplify that cost, right? And that's where like, we realized that something like mid-type should also exist. So, uh, so that was the second Genesis story. Like, Neil always wanted something like to, this to exist. Then I, we also saw that like, as a pain point as where we, we were pivoting. And we realized that, hey, mid-type, must exist and that's why we created it yeah i i love that that it comes out of your own pain and your own need and luckily i think it's one of these things where i feel like your market's huge because everyone builds products everyone wants to save time and money while building products uh so so i think that's fantastic i'm curious uh you mentioned that you went through y combinator which is awesome what are some of the things that you've learned uh, since YC and, and what was going through YC like? Yeah, I think uh, the ethos of Y Combinator is clearly uh, launch and launch quickly. Uh, and don't worry about perfecting your product. Uh, I mean, obviously, there are some things that you can't launch early, like a supersonic plane. Some YC companies are doing that. Or 
or like a uh, quantum computer or anything like that. But if it's software product, launch early. So we learned to do that. Uh, listen to your customers, try to understand their pain points uh, and iterate. Basically that's kind of launch, listen, iterate. Like those are, if you had to talk, take like a bird's eye view, those are the three greatest uh, basically mantras or three, uh, three steps to basically product development or company development that that uh, Y Combinator teaches. And I think uh, it's kind of like first nature to us at this point. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's one of those, uh, it's one of those things where you got so many accelerators out there now. And I feel like the, the education might be equal among a lot of accelerators, but at but YC's access, like who you get access to, will never be beat ever because it because of the scale that it's growing. Yeah, I'm not actually sure. Uh, oh I yeah, I actually just, I mean, uh, I, I don't know if YC gets you any access, right? Like, what access does it get you? I guess it's a better brand name, so that's great. Uh, I don't, I really don't think it's about access as much as it is about just the quality of uh, partners that they have and mm. and and the advice and and the rock solid, honest to goodness advice. And, and all their partners have had experience founding companies or running companies. Uh, so I think it comes from experience versus a lot of other accelerators, which, which is just like MBAs or professionals sometimes running it without any real experience doing it. There's only a handful of accelerators that even matter. And Y Combinator stands out, I think, just because, just because they've done it longer, they've done it better, and they're more ambitious. Uh, yeah. I think, I think, I don't know if access to anything is a big part of their success, right? Like me being part of Y Combinator doesn't give me a lot more customers all of a sudden, or it doesn't like give me yeah, anyway. So I think, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm clearly, uh, I, I agree with you that it's, it's, it's clearly a number one accelerator. Uh, yeah. I think the reasons might be a little bit different or my opinion might be a little bit different. Well, you, yeah, well, you, well, you went through it. So you, I only know what I, what's like, what I can perceive, but you know what it's like going through it. So I, I totally feel that. So, right. so a couple, a couple of questions outside of the scope of your company. You know, you, you're a startup person. You went to YC, you saw all these other startups. Like you must, like you, you must have seen all these different ideas and companies be, being built. I'm kind of curious, like what are some industries or what are some problems or what are some technologies that just interest you that are happening in the world today uh, that you, that piques your interest, even if you're not actively working on them? Yeah, I think uh, actually uh, to tell you the truth, uh, my opinion on this has changed dramatically. Like uh, I've always obviously been a user of open source software as an engineer. I, I really believe at this point that large, large, large businesses can be built using an open source model. Uh, and, and you can see this with investments in various companies that VCs are making that are completely open source, right? And I think uh, success of companies like Elastic, MongoDB, uh, even like uh, in the Hadoop ecosphere uh, to a certain degree uh, with uh, Databricks uh, in, in the data space. I mean, there's tons and tons of open source companies. So I think, uh, I guess it's not a vertical, but it's, it's a business model, right? And I think, the business model of open source software companies, I think is great because it lets you execute transparently. It, it's, it drastically reduces your customer cost acquisition. Uh, so anyway, I think if you're asking for vertical, I'm not answering that, but I, I find the approach of using open source as your business model is, is, 
is very, very interesting. For verticals, I think, uh, I, I personally am interested in any vertical that basically reduces the friction of work or empowers people to be much more productive, right? Any of those two things. And I think you see a lot of these companies uh, call them future of work, no code, low code. Uh, and one of them is like a thing I'm working on myself, which is like not in the no code space, but maybe in the low code space. Uh, uh, obviously uh, a thing that I personally uh, am not interested in, I guess I'm not answering your question, but I think a lot of people are is, uh, is uh, cryptocurrency or something like that or, or blockchain, but those are not things I personally am interested in. So I guess it's a counter, counter to counter answer to your question. Uh, and I think ultimately uh, a lot of the things that, that a lot of successful companies are able to take on now are hard, hard tech problems. What that means is like things I talked about, right? Quantum computing or, or, or supersonic planes. Investors have those kind of large timelines and ambitions if you can iterate and solve that problem piecemeal and milestone by milestone. So I think, uh, yeah, that's kind of my answer. It's a little bit open-ended answer. So uh, sorry about that. No, it's good. I I like that because it, it goes into some realms. Actually, the open source, what you said about open source, I, I don't think I've ever had a guest uh, bring up open source, largely because I don't think I, I, I don't think many of them ha have come from that background maybe, but I'd like to dive into that if you're open to it. I actually don't know much about open source other than other than kind of the concept and the methodology, like the, the reasons why someone would open source. But I, I'd love to dive in. Do you see companies in the future, like can you build billion dollar companies with open source technology or billion dollar user base? Or I guess what's, where does open source fit in in the startup ecosystem? Yeah, so I think at least two of the companies I mentioned are close to $10 billion in public market valuation. Okay. Not funny money from VCs, but those two companies are Elastic and MongoDB uh, at, at this point. Like, I'm not saying they're exactly $10 billion plus or minus For sure. uh, in the range of 5 to $15 billion. I don't actually know their market cap. But, but anyway, so in a billion plus, I think there's probably at least 10 companies on the public market that are open source. Uh, so yeah, I think the answer is clearly yes at this point. Uh, can you make $10 billion companies? The answer is at least there's, oh, and the biggest one that got acquired ever, open source company, uh, Red Hat, IBM acquired it for $40 billion. So I think there's at least multiple $10 billion companies. There is, I don't think there's any $100 billion company yet. But Red Hat yeah. was on its way there. It got acquired for $40 billion. Would it have been a $100 billion company with a few more years of growth for sure? Uh, so I think Yes, large businesses are already built and more and more of them will be built uh, on open source. Uh, and there's many reasons why. So excuse my naivete, but I really I really know very little about, about the model. So Red Hat, for example, so that, that many, many billion dollars worth. Um, but isn't the idea behind open source that you give developers access to build on your platform for free. Um, so I guess, I guess tell me like, what's the business model behind open source? I'm asking literally cause I just don't know. And I'm curious cause I see these companies being built and exiting and it's super interesting to me. And I wanted to understand like, how does it work? <laughs> yeah, I think the largest, um, so one of the reasons you do open source is first, most of these companies uh, didn't start out 
as companies. They just started out as projects. Uh, yeah. They just started out as people who wanted to hack code and get a few other people to hack with them, solve a common problem. Over time, they did such a good job. They got more and more people to contribute, more and more people uh, to you know solve the common mission and realize that, look, uh, at some point, even if it's open code, it's not like, let's say there's a big company out there. Let's call it Acme. Acme has, let's say, a thousand developers um, and they want to solve some problem and they realize, hey, there's this open source piece of technology we can take and we can use it to solve our problem. Once they start building part of their product on it, they realize, look, we really don't know too much about this. Like, how do we scale this from one server to 10 or 10 server to 100 or 100 to 1,000? We are running into all these problems. So you then call the company now behind the open source project and say, hey, look, we need help. Can you help us how to do this? Or actually, oh, we're running into this problem. Can you solve this for us? And the company will be like, yes, we have a support contract. If you pay us $100,000 a year, we'll do this for you. If you pay us 500000 a year, we'll actually write a new feature to solve this problem for you, uh, whatever whatever their price point is. But I think ultimately, even if it's open source, you, you still need deep expertise to run that product in, in production, uh, to build some part of your company on top of it. And as such, you are more than happy to pay. Uh, like for some companies, 500,000 is nothing because you know that's the cost of like a few engineers. Uh, but if you're building a part of critical part of your product, you'll happily pay that because now you can call somebody who's a world-class expert, the company behind this, and they can fix it, the problem for you, for you to run into it. So I think that's how they monetize. And and the like I said, the customer acquisition cost is low because they make it free. The yeah. engineers can go download it themselves, use it themselves. They don't need to do any kind of sales team. They don't need to like uh, worry about selling to business like VP of engineering because nowadays most technology gets ground up adoption. You need your engineers to be empowered to make the technology choices. So I think open source works great. And I, I, I actually foresee hundreds of $1 billion plus company in the next 10 years uh, from coming out of the, using the open source model. That's awesome. I, I literally had no idea that that was the model. And now that you say it, what a genius idea. Like, what, what a just a great idea to, to, to build a company on. I have one other question in that realm that ties to another point that you mentioned. Does open source and blockchain have similarities? And is blockchain like I'm talking about like kind of dis like the distributing no one owns type of thing? Like are they are they similar or are they pretty different? Even though they have like similar clear characteristics. Yeah, yeah. So I think definitely a lot of blockchains are uh, are are implemented using open source, right? Like the, the algorithms, the implementations are open source. But uh, so, but uh, obviously open source itself has nothing to do with blockchain, right? One has one uses the other as a model to validate that, look, we are a clean implementation. There is nothing funny going on here. Uh, but yeah, I think they solve two completely different use cases. I yeah. think blockchain is still something that's trying to figure out what are some big businesses to be built? And that's like, I think the big question mark, and even I am I am waiting, like I'm a skeptic on that in the sense like I haven't seen what success. And I, I know there's visionaries in that space that really believe in it. They know the use cases, they're just trying to, uh, you know, get them implemented, get wider adoption, yep. and we'll see them in time. Uh, I'm just also not very heavily researched into that space to talk more about it. Yeah. Uh, open source, I, I clearly can name, uh, 
many more companies and and talk about companies that are coming up that are using the open source model and i i really believe that you know as as time goes on we'll see more and more of these companies coming out for sure for sure uh yeah yeah that's interesting all this emerging tech and and is just is interesting to me and i'm kind of watching the people that are in the weeds as well seeing what they're going to do what they're going to build i think it's an exciting time i'm just kind of looking forward to seeing what happens so i have a couple more couple more questions for you this next one is a question that i personally am just curious about for my own selfish use case but like i like like founders aren't geniuses that know everything in the world right like founders oftentimes lean on each other they they have mentors they have advisors um, I, it's something I have trouble with is knowing when to lean on an advisor or a mentor or a co-founder versus when I like dig my heels in and just kind of like do the founder thing. Uh, I'm kind of curious, how, how do you think about that as a founder? When do you ask for help versus when do you, uh, you know, stay stubborn in a good way and, and, and dig your heels into the ground? Yeah, I, I, I think it's a question. I think if you ask 10 founders, you'll either get 10 different answers or no conclusive answers. <laughs> yeah. uh, at least that's my opinion, because I think even I struggle with it, right? And and I've seen a lot of other co-founders, I mean, not co-founders, but a lot of other founders of different companies struggle with this. I think ultimately uh, you have, it's a, it's a lot more intuition than maybe, maybe hard science. Uh, but I think if it's a problem you think you can solve just by like, uh, yourself, like quickly thinking about it or quickly asking a few other people, uh, like maybe your customers, right? Learn from your customers first. If you can answer that, then an advisor will give whatever he give you, the customer will give you 10 times better answer. Uh, if it's specifically about like your business, if you can talk, if you can identify your customers and talk to them and, and they give you the answers, that would be much better. Now, if it's something that's much more like operational, like, hey, should I hire this person? This I, I interviewed this person, but like they got like three out of the four things I'm looking for. The fourth thing they don't have, but the other three things are amazing. At that point, I think counting on having some people who can mentor you, who can guide you, who can advise you, who've done this before, and at least provide you options would be great, right? So I think uh, for some things that are clearly much more like general, like hiring, firing, uh, fundraising, uh, strategy about uh, like company morale and so on and so forth, I think you should definitely find advisors, mentors, and lean on them. And and you should probably find people who are just one or two steps ahead of you. They will probably give you the most pertinent advice versus somebody who's done it like 20 years ago or 10 years ago or even five years ago, and they're really big. Maybe they're your investor, but they haven't done this. They're just investing now. And if you're asking about questions about like company morale, I mean, yeah, they can still provide great advice because they have experience, but maybe some of it is dated, right? So I think maybe just find some people who are just one or two steps ahead of you. So if you are at five people company size and you find a mentor who's at 15 people company size, that's perfect because they have much more recent advice. They understand the market much more recently than somebody who may have run a hundred people company because the problem of five people that they faced was many, many years ago. So anyway, I think uh, it's, a, it's a delicate balance and I think Ultimately, you should, for product and business, you should lean on your customers for everything. For many other things, I think you can, you should find advisors and mentors. And, and you don't need many. You just need maybe one or two that you trust and that are available and accessible to you. That is very helpful, even just personally to me. So I appreciate that. 
something I, I struggle with a little bit, I mean, a lot, and it's good to hear different perspectives. So thank you. Yeah. Well, my last question is something that's, that's applicable to, to almost everyone listening to this podcast um, and anyone just that wants to start a company in that there's a lot of people with ideas, there's a lot of people with vision and drive that want to do something big in the world, but not that many people, not many of these people know how to start a company or what just the first step is to take to start a company. So I'm curious, if, if you were given someone advice who wanted to start a company but didn't necessarily know the first steps, what would you tell them? Yeah, I mean, let me break down the question. Are you, are you, uh, yeah, I mean, what do you mean by starting a company in the sense like uh, the, the process around it, like to incorporate, to to find the, sh like figure out the sh how many shares to have, how to find investors, that stuff, or or just like what problem to solve, or 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 how to make how to solve this problem if you, if they have a pro specific problem in mind. A, let's say it's someone that doesn't. In, in, in this example, let's just say it's someone that wants to start a company that is very ambitious. Maybe they're younger on the side of things, and they just got out of college and they just want to start a company, but. Right. Uh, there's not much else there right yeah i think i think uh, my first my and yeah i i think my my experience on in all this is to actually maybe find a problem to solve right like is this a problem who has this problem if you have a problem that at least you have great if it's a problem that you have and you know five other people who have it even better uh and it's a problem you have you know, 10 other people who have it and all 10 of them are willing to pay you some amount of money to solve it, the best, right? I think I think having an ambition to solve, to start a company is, and just that is probably like, maybe it's better for those people to work for somebody for a bit or to understand what problems those companies face and maybe solve and see problems that companies like many of, many similar companies face and solve those problems, right? Like, I think you have to start with a problem in mind and, and really understand that that problem is a problem that is that you understand well, that you understand that a few other people have. There's a term here and, and, and it's called founder market fit. It's not product market fit, it's founder market fit. And, and it's a common term, so I'm not like trying to be educational here. I'm sure most of your founders have heard it, but I think it's very important for a founder to have founder market fit uh, when they're attacking the problem. And oftentimes they will not, and that's okay. You just have to spend enough to learn about the problem. And I think uh, if, if you do that, then you, you can start a company, right? But I think ultimately the question is like, don't worry about the process of starting a company. Identify the problem you want to solve, and and just verify that that problem is a problem that is faced by maybe five, maybe five, ten other people, uh, and some of them are willing to pay you to solve that problem. Right? If you can do all that, then I think you have a shot at a real business. Uh, if you can, you probably still have a shot at a real business. It it might just take a little bit longer to figure out how that becomes a business. So. Yeah. It's one of the best answers that we've had on the show. Thank you. Uh, very informative. And thank you for coming on to the podcast. I enjoyed learning about what you're working on and enjoyed also the conversation that we had had after that as well. So thanks for taking the time and coming on to the Forward Thinking Founders podcast. 
hey man it was great and i uh, hope to connect with you again and listen to the rest of the other podcasts and founders you have in your series so this is an amazing podcast and i appreciate you for inviting me and and letting me talk about mid type and what other thoughts i have on my mind so thank you yeah yeah you got it